Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Sip on the go with a Starbucks iced shaken espresso. Our signature roast, shaken with ice, then finished with a splash of milk. Customize it to match your style on the Starbucks app. Make today a good day. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Hey, this is Josh Kennedy from the Black Moods, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. I hate these word crimes. You really need a full-time proofreader, you dumb mouth breather. Diggers. Uh, sorry. I didn't mean to offend anyone. It's a joke. A lyric from the subject of our interview today. Lily Hirsch, who has written a new book on Weird Al Yankovic, will be joining us. Uh, We'll get to that in just a bit. All right, episode 19 has hit the streets and is tearing up the charts. Hope you all liked it. Send your cards and letters, your unhinged rants our way. We're always looking to hear from the fans, and I do try to answer uh, each and every comment. Uh, This episode uh, gets us to 1970. Uh, With it, we will be doing uh, one more episode that will close out the decade and open the new one. Uh, Even We even have a title, uh, but that shall remain secret until later. Uh, Just know, we're trying to move this one along um, a bit quicker. Uh, It's not uh, at present nearly as sprawling as our recent look at 1969, so hopefully we can get this out to you uh, in just a few months. I'll also let you know that we are actually redoing episode one, uh, the first uh, episode that started this whole crazy five-year journey. Um, It is... uh, uh, technically, it's 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 a little uh, out of date. We've improved uh, our production quite a bit since uh, we first started, uh, and it's given us a chance to kind of clean some things up. And you know, in a weird sort of way, when when you do a documentary or you, or you write a, a nonfiction book, you, you know, you always finish with the la- with the first chapter. That's that's you know, because that's the setup for the for the rest of it. And you know, we just kind of started with one and kept on going. So now that we have a, a very good idea of what we're doing, we're able to. Go 
go back and fix some things in episode one. We may do that with a few of the other episodes, but we'll start with episode one here. Uh, it also uh, is important for us to do so because there are some changes that are being done for the uh, visual presentation, the documentary that uh, we're working on uh, right now. So it's all in conjunction uh, with that. So, yeah, I took a week off. Um, finishing episode 19 was a, a bit of a bear. There was a lot of extra work involved. And uh, so I skipped last week's Deeper Digs. Uh, please forgive me. Okay, moving on, moving on. Uh, we have a new show for you all to consider. Uh, joining the Pantheon Podcast Network is Jesse Colin Young with a new show called Tripping on My Roots. The former Youngbloods frontman gets together with some of the legendary peers who've built similar careers, while also taking a look at the musical heroes whose songs have inspired his own. Featuring interviews, musical performances, rare collaborations, and plenty of storytelling, Tripping on My Roots is equal parts documentary, autobiography, and a first-hand look not just into the creative influences of a folk icon, but into an entire country's musical history. We are very pleased and excited to welcome Jesse and his fantastic team to our pod family. So please go and listen to uh, Trippin' on My Roots and let us know what you think. Uh, I think that is show number 45 uh, on the network now. Uh, Take a listen in the Pantheon Big Pipe for almost all of our shows to sample and enjoy and then subscribe to the shows you love in their individual feeds. All right. Okay. I hope everyone had a fantastic 4th of July. I know everyone went overboard on the fireworks, uh, at least around here they did. Uh, I swear for the first time, I felt like I literally was at Gettysburg in 1863. Um, It was absolutely wild. Did anyone get a chance to catch Hamilton on Disney plus? Of course, I wonder if you all felt the same as I do, that this production is the musical cultural moment of the last decade. I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, if you did manage to catch it. Um, What? Don't believe me? So, see it, and let's talk about it. Uh, Maybe uh, I have more evidence. I don't know. I'll leave that for later. Or not. Let's get into it. This week's episode is with Lily Hirsch, and we are talking Weird Al. Here we go. How does a bastard orphan son of a whore and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by Providence and Pulverance and Squalor grow up to be a hero and a scholar? The $10 founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder, by being a lot smarter, by being a self-starter. By 14, they placed him in charge of the trading charter. Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton. And there's a million things I haven't done. But just you wait, just you wait. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. I am the one thing in life I can control. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Wait for it. I am inimitable, I am an original. And if there's a reason I'm still alive, but so many have died, but I'm willing to. I'm willing to work, work, Angelica. Work, work, Eliza and Peggy. Still doubting me on that Hamilton cultural phenomenon thing? Well, this interview was always set for the for this week, and then Lin-Manuel made the decision to drop the musical on July 3rd. Coincidence? Yeah, I think not. Okay, with the, this week we are all about Weird Al. Uh, I actually have history with this guy. 
Uh, no, never, never met him, but I was a huge Dr. Demento fan back in the early 70s and distinctly remember hearing Al be added to the playlist with his amateur tapes sent in uh, to the show. He was a kid like me and my friends and, uh, you know, the kid who did it. Uh, and uh, we all thought, uh, you know, we all thought we could, but he's the one that actually did it. I also saw Al at his first official show with his band that opened for Missing Persons in 1982. And as you'll hear, I thought it was a great time, but apparently a lot of other people in the audience didn't. And I did check with uh, my uh, my partner in crime, Richard Evans, who was at the show with me in 82. And he says, oh, yeah, I remember people throwing shit at him. Uh, I think somebody hit him with a shoe in the face. <laughs> so uh, there you go. So uh, I have some Al history. Um, a Southern California native, born in 1959 and an only child. At seven, his parents bought an accordion from a door-to-door salesman, thinking this instrument was going to be huge with the new sounds emanating from the rock and roll. It would revolutionize rock and roll. Hmm. Uh, that in itself is quite a humorous origin story. Al is crazy smart and literally nerdy. He graduated from high school early and was his class's uh, valedictorian. Went off to university to study architecture because he was good at math and, let's face it, a rather creative way to use math. He did learn the entirety of Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road on his accordion, and that gave him a good understanding of songwriting. He was also a big fan of the famous musical comedians that came before him, like uh, Tom Lehrer, Spike Jones, Stan Freeberg, Alan Sherman, and the like. Uh, he was also a big fan of Frank Zappa. Of course, it all really begins with the Dr. Demento show. He was the guy who actually sent in the tapes, and they were clever enough to get the good doctor's blessing and put them on the radio. Not surprisingly, Weird Al was a hit and a hero to all of us other nerds listening to the Sunday night evening ritual of musical comedy. Uh, the rest is history, as they say, a long 40-plus years of history. Lily Hirsch is a musicologist, a writer, and visiting scholar at California State University in Bakersfield. Previously, she taught as assistant professor of music at Cleveland State University. Hirsch studied music history as an undergraduate at the University of the Pacific and earned her Ph.D. in musicology from Duke University. This is her fifth book, which includes some very interesting titles, such as Music in American Crime Prevention and Punishment, and A Jewish Orchestra in Nazi Germany, Musical Politics, and the Berlin Jewish Culture League. I am telling you, this is a serious work about what on the surface appears to be an unserious subject. But I think you will hear that uh, Mr. Yankovic deserves the study by such a fine scholar. Okay, so let's dig in, shall we? Seriously, I give you Lily Hirsch discussing her new book, Weird Al. Seriously. They see me mowing my front lawn. I know they're all thinking I'm so wide and nerdy. Think I'm just too wide and nerdy. Think I'm just too wide and nerdy. Can't you see I'm wide and nerdy? Look at me, I'm wide and nerdy. I want to roll with the gangsters. They're so far they all think I'm too Just too white and nerdy. I'm just too white and nerdy. Really, really white and nerdy. First in my class, here at MIT. 
my team. Got skills, I'm a champion of D&D. MC Escher, that's my favorite MC. Keep your 40 out, just have an Earl Grey team. My rims never spin, to the contrary. You'll find that they're quite stationary. All of my action figures are cherry. Stephen Hawking's in my library. My MySpace page is all totally pimped out. Got people begging for my top eight spaces. Yo, I know pie to a thousand places. Ain't got no grills, but I still wear braces. I order all of my sandwiches with mayonnaise. I'm a whiz, a minesweeper, I can play for days. Once you see my sweet moves, you're gonna stay amazed. My fingers moving so fast, I set the place ablaze. Welcome to Deeper Digs, Lily Hirsch. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Oh, same here. Uh, and uh, we will uh, we will get to uh, Weird Al and your book seriously. Um, but how are you? How are you doing during the pandemic? Well, uh, not to mention all the other things that go along. With uh, yeah. Well, I think like a lot of people, this is a difficult time. I read some article about the psychological impact on everyone right now, and that is a, a very real thing. Um, so I'm doing my yeah, my Zoloff intake has gone up. I can tell you that my your what my Zoloff intake has gone Zoloff. up. My chip intake <laughs> way up. <laughs> <laughs> I think is uh, probably common to a lot of people. Snacking. Yeah. 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 Um, but I'm I consider myself lucky because I'm home and I'm safe and I plan mm. to remain that way. So um, I'm trying to focus on that rather than everything terrible just so I don't, you know, lose my mind. <laughs> yeah, it would be very easy to lose one's mind. Uh, and, uh, you know, it does appear uh, if you spend a little time on television, there are a lot of people that are losing their mind. Yeah. Uh, and I these. get that. If you're going to lose it, this is the time. Well, rightfully so, uh, in some aspects. Uh, you know, uh, I, you know, I, you know I've t I talked to uh, a lot of people uh, on this show uh, a lot of musicians and, and uh, a, you know, a fair amount of, uh, let us say, older folk that, you know, have been in the business for 50, 60 years. And, you know, nobody has seen anything like this. No. Uh, I, I don't think we as a, you know, as a community um, you know, globally have, have been in a situation like this since World War II. Yeah. Yeah. We had the influenza pandemic in 1918. Yeah. Um, you know, this sort of ongoing crisis that's normally yeah. you have something terrible happen and then you have a recovery period. This right. is just going and going and going. So that's amazing. I think a lot of people aren't sleeping well, homeschooling my kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they're off of school and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and all that. Yeah. I've, I've got uh, a college uh, kid who's, uh, you know, semester got cut in half. Yeah. Um, they did continue online and, uh, and he did finish up the year. That's good. Great. But yeah. Uh, so um, have you spoken to Al to see how he's doing? No, I haven't. Uh, I, no, I haven't. Um, I did enjoy uh, something he put out. Uh, How's your quarantine? There was a group song and they included him in that. Mm -hmm. And some of his tweets um, that he would not be doing a my Corona version of his my Bologna. <laughs> this is very funny. Um, but no, we corresponded about the book right when it came out. Um, and then I haven't really followed up, but the, the book's timing it, you know, it, I did a book talk right when it came out at CSU Bakersfield, uh, and they had pizza and Twinkies for the students and it was amazing. And then later that day, the school shut down. It was, that was it. <laughs> so that was, yeah, yeah. That, I was going to ask, you know, what, what, what's it like to try to release, uh, a book in this unusual time because you've yeah. had several books uh, under your credit. So this isn't your first rodeo. No, just to use a Bakersfield vernacular. No, this, this was very strange, the timing of this. And I was so excited. This book, I had so much fun 
working on this book. And it was so rewarding in a lot of ways. And um, Al was amazing. I, I got so lucky in choosing him as a person, not just because of his talent, but also because of his cooperation and the team he has around him. Everyone was so lovely. It was just an ideal, wonderful experience. So I was very excited uh, when the book came out um, and then this started happening and um, it, it was hard to feel too excited about, about anything. Um, it was also a weird time to be writing about or thinking about funny music. Um, in the past, I've written about some you know, obviously heavy topics, anti-Semitism and- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I'll want to ask you about a Jewish orchestra in uh, Nazi Germany. Uh, we'll, get, we'll, we'll definitely yeah. get to that. Yeah, but yeah, but, but some of those heavier topics um, make more sense right now, especially um, in one project I, I did deal with uh, the prejudicial impact of rap lyrics at court. Uh, mm -hmm. So some of these issues that relate uh, to the moment, discrimination, ongoing prejudice, uh, systemic mm -hmm. racism. Um, that feels like the writing and the topics I should be doing right now, um, but instead I'm, I am continuing to write about funny music and think about funny music. Um, so I had to think about that a little bit. I I don't know. I think I might disagree with you here, okay. here, Lily. The fact is, is that in times of darkness, what do we need but light? No. Uh, you know, you look at the the the, the depression era uh, in this country, and you look at the music and film uh, of of its time, and it is the exact opposite. Yeah. It is about trying to lift uh, people up with humor, grace, uh, and um, uh, you know, just uh, easier topics to digest. Uh, you know, than you know, getting dark and heavy. Yeah, and I can't, I, I agree with you now. I had to think about it, but mm -hmm. the amount of parodies that have come out in the last three months related to the coronavirus is incredible. The creativity, and it's clear that people need that. People, I'm constantly getting messages with little memes and songs. You know, this is a way to feel connected and music and comedy is a great way to create connection and people need that at home, socially distant, more than ever before. So um, I, I had to get rid of some of that guilt and think about my point that I make in the Weird Al book that, uh, that humorous music matters, that it can have a serious point and it can have a serious psychological benefit. And I feel that right now, even writing about funny music is kind of saving me right now. No, what the world needs now is more Weird Al. Yeah, I, I completely <laughs> agree. And he wrote that when the book came out, he posted on his different media channels, uh, if you're looking for some quarantine reading, check out Weird Al Seriously. And, uh, and that was a, a, a great little shout out. And so true. It's a really nice distraction um, to kind of disappear into the Weird Al universe. Yeah. But at the same time, <clears throat> the book is not, uh, you know, a straight biography no. of, uh, of Al or, uh, you know, let's 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 have fun with Al. It is the, the title is Weird Al. Seriously. Yes. And <laughs> it's very a, a serious, serious piece of work, um, you know, because your your background is as a writer, a professor and music historian, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so I do have my PhD in musicology and my topics before, uh, as I mentioned, uh, were, you know, around musical politics during the Nazi era and classical music and uh, music in criminal law. Um, so I did want to approach this topic in a serious way. 
Um, and it does belong to those other works in that I was looking at an area of music that is dismissed or that has some sort of prejudice. And humorous music is one of these things that we think of as insignificant, just light, inconsequential. Um, and when you look at Weird Al's music, I thought about doing a look at his music in particular because there's so much work in it. There's a seriousness that creates that humor. This isn't just some thing anyone could do. This is some weighty work. Um, and on top of that, a lot of the music does have points, have mm -hmm. as messages and and uh, there's a lot to explore in there. So um, yeah, that that became my focus. And it's is you're right, it is pretty serious. Although I do yeah. make some jokes which are not at Weird Al's level, so I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, how did you uh, come to music? I, I mean, you know, what? Why music for you? What? What was? Um, you know, what was the the muse that 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 pushed you to uh, to follow that? Well, growing up, I was always involved in music. I started piano lessons early, and I sang in a choir, and then I really focused on singing. Um, in high school and into college, I thought maybe I would become some sort of opera singer of sorts. Um, so I had that kind of bug. I loved music. I disappeared into music. I loved music. Um, but I also really liked uh, writing. I really liked history. I really liked writing. Um, so I eventually focused on music history as kind of a combination of everything I loved. Um, and in that, I have always been very interested in politics and the ways um, religion and race div can divide us. Um, so that kind of became a part of my, my work in music history from the beginning. Um, yeah, I, uh, I studied abroad in Vienna during undergrad and this, um, this kind of, this right wing fellow, Jörg Haider came to power and a conductor said he would not, Zubin Mehta said he would not um, come to Vienna again until this fellow stepped down. And when he did, um, Zubin Mehta came, performed in Vienna and said, Vienna is resurrected. And it was one of these amazing moments in my life, just witnessing that where yeah. you see the power of music and how it could combine with politics. And I was hooked. So then I went to graduate school and, and that was my course. Wow, that is a pretty um, uh, a pretty stellar um, moment. You 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 know I I ask that question a, a lot, and you know you you get a more amorphous answer. There's rarely this you know light bulb moment, and that is a light bulb moment. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So, all right, here's another question I ask a lot of people is because it tells me a lot about you. What's the first record that you bought on your own with your own money? Ooh, that's a tough question. I don't even know if I can remember that. I certainly was given some strange records and I had people around me that were trying to make sure I was aware of popular music. I was very involved in classical music. So I was oh, not- from the very beginning, huh? Very beginning. So I really wasn't aware of what was happening in popular music. And then someone gave me like a Milli Vanilli CD, I think was one of my, or it was a tape, was one of my early, or Tiffany. Yeah. Um, this now everyone knows how old I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> But let's see what I was really buying on my own would be uh, like a Mahler. It was all classical music. Okay, okay. Uh, well, that uh, that from classical music to Weird Al, that's uh, that's where we're going today. Yeah. So you have written four books. Uh, uh, I think this is your fourth, right? This is my fifth. 
your fifth. I'm sorry, your fifth. And there's two of which sound really interesting to me. You've kind of alluded to them already, but I just want to get a little bit more into music in crime and prevention and punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about that, and then I, I want to ask you about a Jewish orchestra in, in Nazi Germany because I'm always interested in in anything like that. Uh, you know, the, the the anything with the diaspora and the the uh, the grit uh, and strength of the Jewish community and what we've seen. I'm, I'm, I always like to highlight that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the um, the first, so it was my second book was Music in American Crime Prevention and Punishment. Um, and that was an interesting project. Uh, I read right when I was finishing my dissertation, I read an article about how in Australia, they were using music, specifically music of Barry Manilow, to get rid of teenagers, to kind of chase them away from town squares. And I thought... <laughs> like, like little spikes and pigeons? <laughs> from, just from loudspeakers. They just blast yeah, yeah. Barry Manilow. Yeah. 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 And I thought that was amazing because in graduate school, especially in, in classical music, you're thinking about music as transcendent, as this uh, amazing, sublime, higher power that elevates us all. Yeah. Um, and then you're hearing about, then when I read this, about music chasing people away, I was like, well, this is not, this is not how I thought of music. This is a little different. <laughs> um, I didn't know it could be used as a weapon. (laughs) Yeah, it was fascinating. And on top of that, there were these interesting articles about the technique, which as I started digging is being used everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Where people say- As a torture, as a torture device. Yeah, torture device. Well, and that became another chapter too in the book where music actually used in torture. Um, So music is used in all these very destructive ways in addition to these many positives that we associate with the music. And I thought that was fascinating. And I also found a resistance to that idea where people tried to say, well, actually, when music, especially classical music, is used to chase away teenagers, it actually makes them better. They're not just running away. It's it's improving their behavior, which was BS. That was just that was just wrong. These people were actually leaving. And even when a person liked classical music, they might leave a square because they realize this music is being used in a coded form to say, you're not welcome here. Some kind of peer pressure or, you know, based on those associations, a person might leave. So it had nothing to do with making a person better. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, a more, more negative use of music. And I, Mm -hmm. I found that there was so much concern that discussing that, was somehow damaging to music, that music can't be used in that way, that music can't be torture because music is so wonderful. But that I was bothered because we should be more concerned about people. <laughs> the music will be fine. Yeah. People being tortured or these people being chased away in this kind of hierarchy created by music. Um, so that kind of became the point of the book that music can be used in many positive ways, but it can also be used in many negative ways. And there's nothing wrong with saying that that's part of music's power. Uh, and mm. let's talk about the ways music's used in negative ways so we can address some of these things. And one of those things was um, rap lyrics uh, used at court. Uh, so that's something ongoing where rap lyrics are introduced as evidence um, in criminal trial trials to reflect badly on a defendant. Sometimes there's a, a direct link. Someone will create a rap after a crime that reflects the crime, but a lot of times it's not. It's very general, and it's very clear that there'll be 
a prejudicial impact when rap lyrics are introduced, reflecting negatively on the defendant. And again, this is based in prejudice. It's often a black uh, race baiting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's racism. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's another, excuse me, that's another chapter I dealt with. And I also wrote a few articles, one in the guardian about how terrible that practice is. It's that's a part mm -hmm. of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of, uh, you know, the Judas, Judas Priest trial of, uh, yeah. you know, the, uh, the two kids that, uh, you know, one actually committed suicide, the other one, you know, severely damaged himself uh, and died young. Uh, and their parents, you know, sued Judas Priest mm -hmm. because their lyrics uh, supposedly forced them into uh, right. attempting. And some of that's in the book, too, about this idea that music can incite violence. But there is no one-to-one -one link in that way. Um, music is no. always more complicated than that. Same thing with the rap lyrics as evidence. So mm -hmm. rap lyrics are, were being treated and are being treated as this literal confession, whereas yeah. rap lyrics are an art form. So there's a lot of thing that, things that go into the creation of that text um, beyond anything literal, you know, rhyming and sound and uh, and traditions of the genre around boasting. So it's not some sort of literal confession. Music's no, we complicated. Could, yeah, we could, uh, you know, if that were the case, then we should all blame Wagner for the Nazis. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so that was that, that, was that book and um, I'm still very proud of that book. Yeah, and then uh, the second book is, you know, a Jewish orchestra, speaking of Nazis, in Nazi Germany. Uh, yeah. I, I did not read it. Uh, the title is very interesting to me. I probably will pick it up uh, in the future, but tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so that was my first book. Um, it was focused on an orchestra that was created during the Nazi era called the Jüdische Kulturbund, or the Jewish Culture League. Um, and this organization was the idea of uh, Jewish musicians, but it was sanctioned by the Nazis and it became a separate place for Jews to perform and for Jewish audience members. Um, so it, in Germany, starting right away in 1933, there was this segregated musical life with Jewish, okay. this mm -hmm. Jewish orchestra for Jews and then mm -hmm. German music for the so-called um, uh, true Germans, whatever that was. Um, yeah. Yes. So uh, in the book, I make the point that this sort of segregation, that Jewish music is meant for Jews, um, because part of the requirements for the Nazis, they encouraged this orchestra to perform Jewish music, which was a very difficult ask, because a lot of the uh, members were very German. Um, these were German Jews, and they performed what anyone was performing. They wanted to perform Wagner and Beethoven. Um, and there was a lot of confusion as to what Jewish music actually is. How do you define that? Um, they actually had a conference in 1936 trying to figure out. To determine, uh, okay, this is Jewish, this is not Jewish. Yes, oh. and, they, and they didn't come up How with- How national anything. socialist. It was, it was madness. They didn't come up with anything. But um, the big point in my book, in that book, was that this sort of early segregation around music helped mentally prepare for the segregation of people. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit. And now back to the program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did the orchestra last into the Holocaust period? It uh, lasted into to 1941, which is amazing. And there's a lot of criticism 
around how long it actually lasted that maybe some people didn't emigrate soon enough because they were involved in this orchestra although a lot of people say that wasn't true so um all in all i say in the book that uh the orchestra was different things for different people it was an escape and solace for some and for others it, it, it might have fostered an illusion that there was still a place for jews in germany at that time Wow, um, you know, both those books uh, in, in, in weird ways seem to parallel some of the events that we are um, have been witnessing over the last few years, huh? Yes, it's been very hard, like not just for me, I know for so many people to be following the events of right now when there are so many echoes between the Nazi era and now. Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't understand that, uh, you know, the uh, the takeover of uh, of Germany from the Weimar uh, period into the National Socialist period it did not happen overnight. No, it it was a uh, about a five to seven year process before uh, there was a complete um, change, and you know what what directly led to you know what. It, what is World War II. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, hopefully, uh, and I, I think it's difficult to achieve that, even though it appears that uh, some are trying to do so in this country. I think, um, you know, our robust uh, democracy um, uh, should be able to withstand uh, 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 an assault like this, but we will find out on November 3rd. Yes, I'm, I'm very scared to see what happens. I, I like your optimism. We all need some optimism but but it is it is frightening the echoes um there's so much around this isolationism the the tenor of talk these days um as well as the distrust of the press of facts uh, that was something that happened during the nazi era um and we're seeing that again now um and it's i i'm afraid but i i, I will hold on to your hope and i will keep listening to funny music so i don't go crazy well, I'll stand with the original anti-fascists, Antifa, from the <laughs> 1940s uh, and today. Yeah, yeah. It's hard not to want to be a part of this, that movement, the so-called terrorists. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> What's that's, wrong that's, with being anti-fascist? It's just... Yeah, yeah it's just anti-fascist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we all agreed on that here not too long ago. Yeah. So, uh, you know, fought a big giant war for it. And uh, that's why we dominated the, uh, the the planet afterwards by destroying them. Uh, yeah. You know, so why we would ever want to bring them back, I don't get it. But, um, you know... Yeah, we'll, memory you know. is short, apparently, and it doesn't help us. There's so much distrust around knowledge. <laughs> It is. It is. And uh, yeah, we could dive deep in that. And we'll leave yeah. that for another discussion, <laughs> Lily. Let's move on to uh, our, our subject matter of today, yes. uh, your new book. Uh, uh, and uh, so I guess the first question is, why uh, a new book on Al? Well, there hasn't been a full book on Weird Al. We have a wonderful book by um, Nathan, uh, which is a kind of a lighter treatment. Um, more of a biography. Yeah, and it's not a, even a full biography. So I thought there's room here for something on Weird Al. Not only that, um, I wanted to write something about funny music. That idea came yeah. first. I Seri seriously. Yes, I wanted to focus music. on the merits of funny music and to kind of take on this divide between funny music and so-called serious art music. Um, mm -hmm. So then I thought, well, who would I focus on? And Weird Al seemed the obvious choice. He also seemed like a dream subject to me at the time. 
Um, I talked to an editor who ended up being my editor for this book uh, just at a conference. And we talked about the idea of doing a book on Weird Al. And she said, you know, if you're able to get an interview, just let me know. We'll give you a contract. I was like, okay. Um, and I wrote a letter just kind of being uh, brave. You never know. The worst thing you get is a no, but that's the same thing if you hadn't tried. Um, but somehow this letter to his wonderful longtime manager, Jay Levy, right. um, worked out. And uh, not only did I get an interview, the, my first interview was at his house. I, I understand that that um, is not the norm. When you get an interview with someone like this, a celebrity, maybe you get a little phone chat at first, something like this. They let me come right to his home. And, and that was my first interview. Um, which was an amazingly, it was an amazing experience. I've interviewed people before, but not like that uh, mm -hmm. and not of that level of fame. So um, I was pretty nervous, not going to lie. Um, plus, since I'm coming to his home, I felt like I should bring a gift. I agonized over what I could possibly bring. It was such a, it was such a funny period of preparation. Like, what am I going to bring yeah. for Mr. <laughs> yeah. Cer certainly not meat, uh, right. alcohol, no alcohol or drugs. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I went through that because sometimes you bring a bottle of wine to someone's home. I was like, that's not going to That would be the first stop for me. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'll get a good bottle of wine. No. Right. Yeah. I was really stumped and I can't try to give him something really nice. I, I mean, I don't know what he has or <laughs> I ended up bringing him one of my past books just so he knows and you know I I actually can write they didn't make a bad choice in inviting me over um and then I brought him some local candy <laughs> some Bakersfield candies um and and that's what I went with but it was I was so nervous and agonizing over these silly decisions um but he was an amazing host and it was it was a wonderful experience well, they say he is definitely one of the good guys in Hollywood. Yes, they say that. And I wanted to test that. I wanted to write, write a chapter about someone nice. And I was, this was also, you know, when I was beginning this project, this was during the Me Too movement. And I was getting very depressed reading all these stories about terrible men. And I was really starting to question all men, which I think is fair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I thought it might be nice uh, to write about a good guy, just as a reminder that they're out there. And Weird mm -hmm. Al definitely fit that bill so um he couldn't have been a nicer host you know inviting me in offering me you know coffee or tea or something like this and i just i just couldn't believe how lovely he was well i gotta say uh just like his uh 2014 album uh mandatory fun uh the uh, the book uh, a serious uh book on weird al is almost an oxymoron wouldn't you say Yes, I thought I loved that title. I uh, I thought that title was very funny. It also, you know, I was trying to do a serious treatment, but I knew the title also sounded funny. Um, so it played in two ways for me. Um, and and that's fun. And that's perfect wordplay too. Uh, that uh, fits with the whole Weird Al catalog since he is so clever with the wordplay and with that title, Mandatory Fun. How can it be fun if it's mandatory? Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And let, let's just, you know, get people to understand that, uh, you know, 15, um, uh, excuse me, 16 Grammy nominations, five wins, uh, uh, Mandatory Fun uh, became the first number one comedy album since 1963, uh, Al Sherman's My Son, The Nut. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, it's amazing what he's achieved and also his endurance. And that's something that I highlighted in the book uh, because throughout his career people have 
assumed that his career is over. It's just, yeah. but it just keeps going. And the amount of albums he's put out and how long his band has been together, it's a testament to so much about him as an artist and as a person. So for, for those diggers who are unfamiliar with Weird Al Yankovic's uh, personal history, I, I'm sure everyone is at least a little familiar with, uh, you know, some of his parody songs. Uh, can you give a quick, uh, you know, synopsis of, of, of who Al is? Ooh, a quick synopsis. Okay, so he uh, was a very smart young man, and he graduated high school as a valedictorian at the age of 16, and then went right to college, and he went to Cal Poly as an architecture major, which is a very difficult, challenging major, and he was somewhat committed. Yeah, it's, it's, right, it's right in the balance of art and math. I mean, yes. uh, you know, two very, what a lot of people think are two very different disciplines. Yes, but, and uh, you can see that in his music. You can see this uh, architecture, this layering in his music, so it makes some sense. But he finished that degree in four years, um, and I, I, re I realized that that major was very difficult, and he wasn't totally sure at certain points if architecture was for him. So the fact that he was still able to finish on time a very difficult degree was, a, again, another point, another test. Without, without having that passion driving yes. you, right? Yeah. Yes. So the fact that he did that is another testament to just how smart he is. Um, so during that time, he did uh, become the local DJ at the university um, and put out what became his first big hit, which was My Bologna. He had yeah. some play, some success on the Dr. Demento show before that, but My Bologna was probably the first big hit where he got a record deal and all that. Um, and then from there, I would say his next big hit uh, was his play with Michael Jackson. So he did the... Uh, yeah, Beat It. Yes, um, eat, it. Uh, eat It, Eat It. Yeah, right. Beat It. Uh, uh, he's an only child. Uh, That's right. You know, raised by two wonderful people uh, who, you know, gave good uh, direction, but also let him kind of be himself as well, right? Yes. No, he was very much himself. It does sound like his mom was a little overprotective. Um, and that made some sense too. He was younger than the other kids at school. He picked on a little bit. He had that experience being a bit of an outcast. Um, but yeah, from uh, his parents sound like wonderful people. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the man who uh, provides the forward to your book, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, you know, the, the person probably most responsible for, uh, Weird Al's uh, career trajectory. Um, uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I grew up uh, listening to Dr. Demento. Uh, I remember hearing uh, Al's first uh, forays and thinking to myself, being being a, he's a little bit older than me, but not much, uh, and saying, "Gosh, that why don't I should do something like that?" And never getting around to it, of yeah. course. Uh, but uh, you know, you know, uh, of course, I didn't play the accordion either. Uh, but you know, uh, it, it was fun. I, you know, I. I, I couldn't have uh, survived uh, some of my uh, early teenage years without uh, the, the Dr. Demento show on KMET on Sunday nights. Yeah, Dr. Demento is a legend. If there ever was an expert on funny music, it's Dr. Demento. Um, and let's say he's a musicologist as well. Yes, he went to, well, he went to Reed as an undergrad, and then he went to yep. UCLA to get a master's, and he was a part of this folklore studies program in its very beginning, along with the eccentric guitarist, John Fahey, who's also, you know, a legend. Um, and uh, so Dr. Demento could have gone on and become a professor, but he decided that was not for him and he got involved 
in the radio business and that show just took off right away and i and he described you know including some kind of novelties oddities in the beginning and then pretty soon they just took over the whole show that became um his focus um but he's a wonderful man he was so generous in writing the forward and uh you and he's a great writer you know he's a, a very smart man as well um, and he continues to have this great influence on funny music uh, with the Funny Music Project, and he's a part of these Logan Awards um, that give out, that honor uh, the musician Logan Whitehurst um, um, by awarding um, um, honoring certain music in different categories each year. So he's a, he's one of the permanent um, jurors in and that. Doctor Demento uh, is uh, you know the the um the on-ramp to uh to such great music that you know up until that time had kind of been lost to the past yeah uh i mean without uh you know dr d i i, I wouldn't know spike jones or tom lehrer um uh, alan sherman uh stan uh, freeberg you know all of those guys also huge influences on al as well Absolutely. Yes. I'm waiting for the Dr. Demento book. I've already asked him about it. There, That has to happen. I think he's working on one. I hope he's working on one mm -hmm. um, because he, he, the interactions he's had as he's promoted these different um, people from the past, but also new funny music book. He discovered a lot of different people. Um, he has these stories. He's just an archive of funny music history. Um, there's nothing like him in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, like I said, uh, Spike Jones, uh, DeFure's face. Um, uh, by the way, uh, my favorite comedy of all time is The Producers. So uh, to have that, you know, anything uh, that kicks Nazis in the face, I'm I'm very pro. Uh, and so to, to hear that laughing uh, my young uh, ass off at the time, Tom Lehrer, yeah. uh, who to me is probably the, the statesman of that group. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, the Vatican rag. Um, the elements, uh, you know, yeah. based on the Gilbert and Sullivan's um, uh, Pirates of Penzance yeah. uh, uh, song, uh, you know, uh, uh, Werner von Braun uh, comes to mind as well. Uh, you know, Alan Sherman, mm -hmm. uh, Hello Mutta, Hello Father, you know, right. Camp Granada, mm -hmm. uh, and all the, and Stan Freeberg's uh, Deo, uh, um, uh, Get Nothing for Christmas, uh, George and the Dragonette. These are these are Al's musical fathers, wouldn't you say? Yes, yes. When I asked him influences, and he's said it uh, in other places too. He cites all of those amazing musicians. Um, I was surprised when I interviewed him. He also said uh, Ron Serling of the Twilight Show or Twilight, Twilight Zone. Yeah, which um, <laughs> was a surprise. But the other musicians, um, absolutely. And he recently, the uh, NPR just put out a special broadcast uh, in honor of Alan Sherman, and and Al speaks on that interview, honoring one of these great influences, along with Mad Magazine. Um, uh, yeah, we, Al has some wonderful influences. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit more about Mad Magazine in a bit because, yeah, that's another piece. You know, when you know that it's the structure that builds Weird Al. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, definitely Doctor Demento is uh, is you know the foundation, uh, and out of that you get uh, you know the Spike Joneses and Tom Lairs. and I, I believe Tom is still alive. I don't think yeah. he's 
teaching mathematics no. anymore, but but I think he is actually still around. He's still alive and, and he's retired. Yeah, he's re a retired math professor, which is amazing. Then he should revive his musical career. I know. It doesn't seem to have any We, we need Tom Lehrer now. We need uh, all the funny music right now. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, so, so, you know, the foundation, Dr. Demento, uh, the infrastructure, um, those uh, uh, fathers of, of music, but you make this great point that I, I really, you know, hadn't considered. Uh, and, uh, and, and it, it, and it makes Al such an outlier and that's, um, you know, usually comedy albums and by extension, those who make them are rather ephemeral. Yeah. So yeah. why is that? And how did Al break that mold? I mean, well, the only other person I can think of that kind of fits in that category is Victor Borga. Yeah. Yeah. Victor Borga. That's an interesting choice. Yeah. Al was very smart about his career. And he didn't succumb to a lot of the vices that you associate with musicians, which is another kind of joke in his biography. <laughs> um, and his niceness was part of that also. He surrounded himself with a wonderful team. And these people have been very loyal to him all of this time. Um, he's also very good at moving with the times. So his music um, doesn't become out of step with the new advances at technology. And in talking to um, John Bermuda Schwartz, um, he talked about um, how they had to change the creation of parody based on new technologies and, and new developments in the recording industry. Um, and also Weird Al, the way he put out his music changed over time. With 2014, he did this digital um, dumping that was uh, so so perfect. And that was something uh, Stan Freeberg talked about having difficulty with, um, coming up with all of these funny songs and having to have enough then to put on an album. And for Al, waiting in that way, um, it, all of a sudden the music isn't as current. And, and Al is a student of the zeitgeist, of what is the current trend. And that's part of what makes his parodies so effective, that he, he catches these certain moments. So he has to be so in tune with the moment in how mm. he produces the music, how he puts it out there, and in the music itself. And he's been able to do that. Yeah, uh, again, uh, Dr. Demento rightfully, you know, calls him uh, the, the Beatles of, yep. uh, of comedy music. And, and I, I think there's real credibility to that, given that, you know, he's now had a, uh, you know, 40 plus year career of, you know, doing basically the same thing. Whereas, uh, you know, most of these other guys, you know, had a short career and moved yeah. off to, to other ventures. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, Tom Lehrer went to become a mathematics professor. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, but Al has been able to, to maintain that. Yeah. I, 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 and that begs the question that it's gotta be just really hard today to keep up with that because, you know, if it's, you know, if it's about the zeitgeist and, uh, and, 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 and technology, uh, in some aspects being a part of this, you know, uh, the zeitgeist changes so rapidly yeah. because of, you know, this uh, interconnected world that we now live in. Absolutely. Uh, you know, what what is, uh, you know, a, a big deal, uh, you know, what, what might be called a viral sensation one day is long gone the next. No, absolutely. And that's something he talked about in interviews, too, was that uh, initially he could just look at MTV, you know, just look at the charts and you know what's big at the moment. 
but uh, but pretty soon it became an issue of having to follow an awful lot of different uh, media, a lot a lot of different platforms because the whole music industry is so fractured now. So there is no one spot to to follow. Um, so that's that's some work right there. Um, I should mention also in how, in the longevity of his career, it, you gotta look at his fans too. Weird Al has such a devoted following of fans and some of these people at least in my experience are just as nice and creative and smart as he is it's an amazing group um just from my limited experience um and like-minded people yeah yes and they're devoted and they're creative there's this idea that fans are somehow you know these crazy screaming girls it's like this pathology but um in weird al's case and in a lot of cases fans are amazingly dynamic and creative um writing their own parodies and creating their own amazing weird al tattoos um and uh just since the book has been out i've been getting these emails from different fans and they've been amazing i've never received emails like this long thoughtful considerations of the book um and also thank yous for looking at this person in a serious way who has meant so much to them who has made it okay to be different who has said it's it's okay to be an outsider it's okay to be who you are so um that's very powerful so uh, a little like uh, the Grateful Dead and the Deadheads, there are Alheads. Yeah, we've got Alheads, and they are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, I know he's asked this a lot, uh, you know, uh, and you, you obviously make the case in this book, but, you know, is his music serious? Well, that's an interesting question. And I think that also goes at the lang longevity issue. Um, Weird Al is careful not to get too political, uh, not to make too obvious of an argument um, because he wants to have it have relevance down the future when the political context changes um, so when i asked him about pointed messages or serious weight uh, sometimes he would give me silly answers or kind of get around the point um, but i think there is this seriousness sometimes political sometimes around gender that's in there and and that's part of parody parody is such an interesting medium where you combine an old song with a new song and it creates this interesting dialogue between ideas and between different musicians um so with that i was able to do a lot of exploring around some bigger questions um mm -hmm. of race and gender and politics um he does have some obvious ones like trigger happy that take on gun violence um mm -hmm. i thought it was obvious although he has said that people have missed the point of that and and thought that that was not tongue-in-cheek that that was actually pro-gun which it is not um is it's not just in those sorts of topics it's also in the creation of these works these are very smart works um they're very musical they're very smart in lyric and the creation of lyrics and his process for creating lyrics is is difficult. It's it's a very long process, um, and he experiments with just the right syllable count, just the right sound um, to match the original. So part of the seriousness is in the music itself. Uh, yeah, uh, word crimes uh, comes to mind when you know about the seriousness, and and you you even bring up the philosopher Jurgen uh, Habermas. Uh, you know, uh, you know, do you think, uh, given the global strife and 
and well, we already talked about that, uh, that, uh, yeah, his, um, his music is kind of a, a solve on uh, the current uh, issues that, that we're, we're dealing with. Um, but word crimes, uh, you know, that's a great example of taking those, uh, you know, a, a song. It's a, it's a parody of the Alan Thicke uh, song. Uh, and, uh, uh, but talking about grammar. Right. Is, is the point of it, right? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that, that only smart people are going to gravitate to a song like that. Well, it's a hilarious song that plays in so many different ways. So I don't think it's just for smart people because he also kind of makes fun of the kind of grammar. Nazis. The grammar Nazis. Yes. Right, right, While right. at the same time supporting all of that. Um, and then on top of that, I thought the song was so great in that it makes the blurred lines appear as ridiculous and kind of terrible as it should look. Um, yeah. You know, Blurred Lines is a song that made consent a problem. And right. there were other a, parodies that, yeah. that took a very different angle and made it, you know, more obviously in Weird Al's words, rapey. But he didn't go that direction. That was the obvious direction. He went and switched it up and made it about grammar. And in the video, rather than these scantily clad or naked women, depending on the version that you see with uh, Robin Thicke, you have a Weird Al's version uh, where it's dancing exclamation points, dancing punctuation. <laughs> and it's wonderful. And the juxtaposition makes blurred lines appear as kind of terrible as it actually is. So uh, yeah. I think it, the, there's a lot going on in word crimes. And also the grammar lesson, language matters. I, I think Weird Al, kind of like Seinfeld, can be dismissed as, you know, music about nothing, a show about nothing. Um, but it, this, this is universal subject matter. This is not nothing. Um, and the way we talk, the way we use words uh, creates our universe. It's Yeah, it, uh, they matter. Words matter. Yeah. Words matter. Absolutely. Yeah. Now more than yeah. ever. Right. All right. So um, uh, I think there are basically three types of Weird Al songs. Uh, you know, there's the straight parody. Uh, there is, uh, an assumed, uh, uh, parody, which is kind of an original type. Yeah. Of, style of parody, a uh, style parody, excuse me. And then there's the, uh, uh, the, um, the polka, yeah. uh, uh, type of, of Al song. So can we, can we break down Al's process of turning, um, you know, let, let's start with the first one, which is, you know, uh, Al's process of turning popular song and reworking it into a parody. Yes, yeah, so that's one of those moments where he's really following the zeitgeist. He finds the right song uh, that's going to make, uh, you know, make a certain impact, and then he plays with those words. And it's it apparently goes through a lot of drafts. He's very careful with the words and matching the original syllables and the sound. And I guess over time he's become more true to the original sound too in construction. So you have this moment where you're listening to one of his direct parodies and you're not quite sure it's a parody. So then when the the voice comes in, when his voice comes in, that's the tip off. And then it, that surprise is kind of part of the fun. Oh, it's a parody. Um, oh, it's Weird Al, okay, yeah. yeah. Which yeah, I think is yeah. a great moment. A lot of times in rock music, you don't even notice the words, you're kind of coming along. I'm one of those people that's terrible at kind of remembering lyrics and I just kind mm -hmm. of say whatever. Uh, along with the melody. <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem. Um, but with Weird Al, it's all about the words and his very distinct voice is the tip off. Um, then you've got the style parodies and these are great. So it's often in the a certain style, a certain genre, uh, parodying aspects of that genre. 
um, but they are original compositions. He's yeah, like like Dare to Be Stupid, uh, Dare to Be Stupid, Slime Creatures of Outer Space, uh, uh, the sports song comes to mind. Absolutely, Th and those are those are those are style parodies. Yes, and Dare to Be Stupid is a great example because it's in the style of Devo, which is right. very <laughs> unique already. Um, and it's become a sort of anthem about being different, marching in your own way, um, uh, doing things, um, yet not following along, not conforming. It's this wonderful sort of anthem for so many people, fans that have considered themselves outsiders. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, so we have the, the, the straight uh, parody, the style parody. Mm -hmm. And then we have the polka song. The polka uh, medleys, amazing. Oh, uh, especially let's face it. Look, Hamilton, his oh. his, holy shit. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Hamilton. I personally think it is the single greatest cultural event of the last decade, um, and uh, will live on way beyond our lives. Uh, and anybody who has seen it. Uh, you know, should come away with the recognition of how significantly a, a, a cultural shift moment that is. So it's perfect fodder for for Al. Uh, um, but to <laughs> you know, to take all those songs and then turn them all into a polka uh, was just extraordinary. And I've seen, uh, you know, uh, I, I think it was uh, Jimmy Fallon and and Lynn Manuel. Uh, just playing it and just yeah. laughing their asses off. Yeah, and it's so it, right? genuine their reaction of humor. You know, they're laughing, yeah. but also in awe of what he yeah, did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and both, by the way, huge longtime Al fans yeah. themselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and friends. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda and and Al sound like they're pretty good friends now too. Um, and Lin Manuel Miranda has credited Al with that mixing of genres that you see in Hamilton and mm -hmm. and what he does with the medleys this mixing of different genres um, as inspiration um, a lot of his medleys are so fun the uh, some of the other ones because not only do they juxtapose different styles you've got the polka style with something completely different but also all of these different songs are combined together very different songs in that polka style so there's so much at play in that, not to mention the accordion talent involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's, you know, Al's, uh, you know, his instrument of choice is the squeeze box, the accordion. Yeah. He was, I think, given one at uh, like seven. Uh, door to door a... salesperson is the <laughs> cause of all of this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Tell that story. Well, it's amazing. Apparently, this is something that happened that there were door to door accordion salespeople and one came by the home and they decided to get this accordion and uh, or rent the accordion and do lessons. So he took lessons for a very short period. Was it seven or eight? Um, but it stuck. So he experimented with this accordion later on and and he remembers playing Elton John's music working it out on the accordion later in life. And that's apparently something he played once he was at Cal Poly and, and was a big hit <laughs> with the people in the dorm. Um, so yeah, it all began with a door-to-door -door salesperson. Yeah, so uh, he picks up the, 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 <laughs> the accordion and in a weird sort of way, the king of the accordion at the time is also a Yankovic. Uh, yes. Frankie Yankovic. That's right. No uh, relation. No relation. <laughs> it's just, that's cosmic. Yeah, it's amazing. And apparently they met. There's a great picture of the two of them. It's amazing. Yeah. 
yeah, it's in the book. It's in the book. So, uh, yeah, I have polka party. Uh, and to me, the, 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 I just put a smile on my face and every time I hear it is, the his uh, rendition of hot rocks or basically a bunch of stones, uh, songs, uh, streamed together because of the album hot rocks, which was a greatest hits album. And it's just, there's so many, so many metal layers going on of, of comedy in, in that one piece right there. No, absolutely. And the incongruity. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, we, we talked about Dr. Demento. We talked about, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the fathers of, of comedy that, uh, that Al followed. Um, you know, you just mentioned a third, uh, piece of the building of Weird Al and that is Elton John. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess early on, um, he played with Elton John's music, worked out how to play it on the accordion. And this was a seed for so much that combination of styles of, uh, accordion associated with polka, um, and, and then the rock popular music world. And, and that, that combination is just at the heart of so many of his parodies, this mixing of genre, um, that he's so clever with. Yeah. Elton John was big. Yeah. And learning all those songs, I'm sure, uh, you know, even with an accordion, uh, you know, you can, uh, you can make yourself a little popular, uh, playing, uh, you know, my song or Daniel, uh, on accordion, uh, that would be a lot of fun. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 I believe he did. He learned every song on goodbye yellow brick road. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so there's your, there's your musical foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you, you can't pick somebody better than Elton John uh, if you want to uh, emulate a career in music. Oh yeah. Yeah. A long career in music like Al. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing it's interesting now going back to some of the lyrics uh, you know, there's a lot of food references yes. in there. He gets asked this a lot. Uh, you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, his first big hit is, you know, uh, a takeoff of the Nax My Sharona, My Bologna. Right. Uh, and, uh, and of course, the next big hits through the 80s are Eat It uh, and Fat. Uh, yeah. uh, I think he's got a, a song on spam and, yep. uh, you know, uh, and so, you know, food is kind of a, a, a universal uh, subject right. matter, wouldn't you say? No, absolutely. And I had to ask him about it because there are so many songs about food. Um, and he admitted up front, okay, I have a stock answer to that. And he said about you know being a starving artist, he's fixated on food, this sort of thing. Um, but in truth, he also said, you know, this is universal subject matter. This is something everyone can relate to. Um, and with Eat It, I mean, that's a song I play for my kids and they love that. It's hilarious. Um, I guess it's a little less hilarious this, these days for a weird Al, and he's very careful about not offending people. So on his last tour, he didn't play any of the parodies of Michael Jackson. It's a, it's a, a oh, oh, so it wasn't the fat shaming uh, thing, no. but more the controversial with Michael Jackson yes. of uh, the the movies and uh, yeah, the, um, that uh, documentary the molestation, that yeah, issues, yeah, yes. But oh, those are huge hits for him. Yes, yeah, and he changed his Twitter handle for the longest time. He was the Eat It guy. Um, and now that's, that's gone. Um, so that's something he's very careful with. And this is something interesting too. When I was thinking about funny music being taken seriously, it's often not until it really is. And then you have this cancel culture that'll swoop in if you go over a certain line. Um, and throughout Weird Al's career, there have been those moments where something he didn't mean to offend. He never means to offend, um, but something will change in meaning over time. 
um, when I first saw him perform. So there's been these moments in the first um, concert I saw, because I, I was kind of late to Weird Al, you know, I was so involved in classical music. Um, I didn't, wasn't really aware of anything else for a long time. Um, but I like to think I was a Weird Al fan before I knew I was a Weird Al fan, if that makes any sense. I was a prime mm -hmm. Weird Al fan candidate. I'm doing my own thing, but I just, I just didn't know it. Anyway, so I came to his, uh, not this last tour, I did go to this last tour, but the tour before that, and he performed a song and he said right up front, you know, I use the word midget in this song. I wouldn't do that now, but I did then. Um, and even in word crimes, he has the word spastic, which is apparently a very problematic word in the UK, but he wasn't aware of it at the time. Um, so he apologized. Um, but there's been these different moments where a song changes in meaning over time, even eat it, you know, with these revelations around Michael Jackson. Um, so that's something he's very, he's very aware of. Yeah. Um, you know, you, as you said, uh, you know, the meanings of, of, uh, events or, um, uh, what is acceptable behavior, um, you know, later on becomes unacceptable behavior. And when you have a long career, um, you know, you, you can't be held responsible for commenting on what is acceptable at a moment. And then later on, you know, it's, it's just part of your catalog. Now right. it seems like he's doing some of the right things by, right. you know, saying, uh, you know, I, I would do things different today, knowing what we know now, right. uh, or, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I was unaware of uh, a lot of <laughs> certain issues that, uh, existed when I did certain things in the past. Yeah. You have to, you know, cancel culture is, uh, you know, it's a touchy subject. Um, some of it is deserved. Um, yeah. and, uh, some of it is not. And, uh, I, I think it, you know, it has to be taken on a case by case basis. You know, comedy, parody, these yeah. things should have wide latitude. And, and understanding the context when it came out, I was fascinated by the whole thing that went up around Baby It's Cold Outside because um, you remember all of this? The yeah. Baby It's yeah. Cold Outside duet? Yeah. Um, now in looking at it, yes, you go, okay, this woman, uh, this it's is apparently a, trying to get out of there. Right. This and is he's not letting him. Right? But then when you look at the period, apparently what's in this drink meant something different. Uh, apparently the, based on the context, then it, it, it wasn't the same as how we're looking at it. So yeah. I think when someone, you know, is offended by a past song and, and, and then artists can explain that. Um, I, I think that's something to be valued. Then again, how a person feels in response to a song based on the current moment and what that does to them is also valid. And if that's a negative experience, that's all also valid. So it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky mix. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you can step in it, uh, uh, I guess. But I, again, comedy should have a wide latitude. We're not talking Civil War statues here, you know, <laughs> which are very specifically meant to make a very specific point. Uh, you know, this is this is just trying to have some fun, uh, some wordplay, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, you know what what was uh, you know lightly acceptable uh, may not be so today, and yeah. you know we yeah, can we we should be able to have an open mind. On that's that. great that you brought up this uh, the Civil War monuments. I just saw a little Twitter thread amongst musicologists about what songs we could behead or topple. And I- Oh, I saw a friend uh, <laughs> put something up yesterday yeah. for the bands, uh, the night they drove old Dixie down. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think there are some we potentially could, but I don't think it's Weird Al. <laughs> I think, no, yeah. no, certainly not. <laughs> not uh, it's Al. Again, it's comedy. Yeah. And and it has to be taken at its time. I mean, you know, uh, look at, uh, you know, Blazing Saddles, for example, which, you know, just totally makes fun of the issue. But they use the N-word in that movie a couple of times. Yeah, and, no, uh, absolutely. And I, I discussed the most controversial one for me was uh, the pretty fly for a rabbi, Weird Al's yeah, song. Yeah. And white mm -hmm. nerdy, too. That's something, <laughs> that's something we could discuss. Um, but I talk about that, how I reacted to that. But then I also put it in context, uh, this particular moment in history. So how... I was reacting based on now, and I was reacting based on a rise in highly visible anti-Semitic moments since Trump. So my reaction was conditioned based on listening to it right now, rather than when Al wrote that. So all of that needs to be taken into consideration when you look at look at uh, any music. Well, and and originally, is there malice or not? And, right. And there is no malice in this. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hilarious, and I love it. And it's he's representing the Jewish people, and at a time when there wasn't as much representation, so there's a lot going on in that one song. Um, so it's hard to just react with a blanket statement or a blanket no. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you think Al's ever going to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Oh, my gosh. It needs to happen. It needs to happen, and his fans are on it. And they have been successful in campaigns before to get him his um, his square on the uh, – Yeah, he got the, the star on the Rock, Walk of Fame, Hollywood uh, Boulevard's Walk of Fame. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think based on their tenacity and the fact that he deserves it, <laughs> it it'll happen. Well, the fact that, uh, as we mentioned, Dr. Demento, you know, uh, points to Al as, uh, you know, the Beatles in, uh, yeah. you know, com comedy records. And, you know, he is um, a, a huge part of the rock and roll era zeitgeist. Uh, it yeah. just it just is, uh, you know, uh, you know, he's he's having a, a play on a lot of famous songs and a lot of a lot of artists that are now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame themselves. Uh, and, yeah. um, you know, uh, if it's quality of work and it's influence, uh, it's record sales, uh, all combined, um, I, I think he kind of hits the trifecta there. That's true. And he has such a relationship. You're right to the history of popular music, to the history of rock and roll. Um, so much of his, his parody, the success of his parody depended on the fame of the song he was targeting. But in in so doing that, he often cemented the fame of whoever this person was. You, there's so many different stars that were th thrilled that they were getting a Weird Al parody. Um, so there was this this very interesting relationship here where he is marking the fame of he's marking history. He was marking the history of popular music. Um, he's so, also proving the point of those songs that they are that significant. Yeah, uh, because if if they warrant a Weird Al parody. Boy, they 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 must have uh, have hit the jackpot themselves. Absolutely. So he's part of the history making that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does. Some of the first history, the first commentary on saying yes, this is something yeah. that needs to be 
uh, uh, heralded. Yeah, uh, he is there. like he is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> he doesn't need to be in it necessarily because he is it. Huh. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, in a in a weird sort of way. Yeah, he he has played uh, many uh, of the of the songs that he has parodied. The, these artists are already yeah. in the Rock and Roll Hall of Absolutely. Fame. He should follow along with them. He really so, should, and he's such a cultural touchstone now. You know, he's a reference point in so many different aspects of culture. He's he's like an icon now. Yeah, yeah. So we have, uh, like I said, Dr. Demento, the, uh, uh, the, the, the foundation, uh, the uh, basic infrastructure of the com comedic uh, geniuses that uh, preceded him, Elton John as uh, the musical uh, aspect. Um, you mentioned Rod Serling with Twilight Zone. Um, I, how, I, I, I should have stopped you right then and said, how does that fit in? Because I couldn't quite figure out how I, I see him, and 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 we're gonna we're gonna delve into Mad Magazine uh, because that's that's obviously uh, a huge influence on him with a, a lot of us of that of that age, and you know, and let's give it up to Al Jaffe, uh, who just retired this week at ninety nine after uh, sixty five years uh, with Mad Magazine, yeah. um, and I think Al's favorite. Um, uh, artist uh, was Mort Drucker uh, when he was with the, the magazine a long time. So if you can't take Rod Serling and Mad Magazine and go. Okay. Well, <laughs> when I was asking about influences, when I asked Al, um, I knew I had read in other interviews his mention of you know Stan Freeberg and Alan Sherman and some of these others. Um, but I was surprised when he said uh, Serling. But it made yeah. some sense at the same time. There's in the Twilight Zone. There's a great great use of word. By this gentleman and his delivery is so iconic you know with the oh yeah. yeah yeah so that kind of made sense this focus on language again and then mad magazine also language is everything the play with language and the play with words and the play with foreign words yiddish words um and that's something you see filter into weird al's work also uh they also parody um and i mean it's all parody and they parody songs they got into legal trouble um, early on, uh, kind of. Oh, Mad Magazine actually tried to uh, do comedy, musical comedy themselves. Yeah, right? they put out these parodies and they got into some trouble for it. Um, it you know, parody is considered uh, fair use. It's. It is now. Uh, it is in now. the mid 90s, uh, Campbell versus Acuff Rose. Uh, right you know, established that uh, parody had uh, uh, leeway, legal standing, right. uh, and uh, could be considered fair use. That's right. And Weird Al, uh, so Weird Al seeks out permission, but technically he doesn't have to. Uh, yeah. Technically, what he does is fair use. Um, but it wasn't, we didn't have that legal case, that legal framework in place for Bad Magazine. In, in, the, in the 1950s. Right. right. So right. they got into some trouble. Alan Sherman got into some trouble. Um, parody was uh, was seen as uh, not quite the original artistic uh, entity that it, it, it actually is. Mm. Um, but that play with language, that play with parody, uh, it's a huge influence there in Mad Magazine. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that, 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 those are the influences uh, uh, of Al and how he becomes that. And by the way, you, you know, uh, a mad magazine, especially since the, it did use a lot of uh, Yiddish language and introduced us to, to some of those wonderful uh, colorful words yes. uh, that we could get away with saying uh, yes. that uh, a lot of people didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, it, it's important to know that 
that Al is not Jewish. Not Jewish. Even though a lot of people assume he is. Absolutely. I, I wasn't sure when I first started this project. I was like, maybe he's Jewish. You know, he's got my curls. I was like, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe he's part of my family. He's um, just honorary Jew. Uh, and he is considered an honorary Jew by many with the pretty fly uh, for or pretty fly for a rabbi. And with uh, this Yiddish does crop up in a lot of his different uh, music. Um, but no, yeah, he's sadly not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> sadly, yeah. Oh, but uh, so we we've got him. Uh, we've got him all covered here uh, now on uh, on who you know why he does what he he does. Um, uh, you know, another thing that um, that really is important at this point is to bring in the band. Uh, yes. Because, you know, at first Al started, in a weird way, Al started as a solo artist, mm -hmm. and then he became a, a, a band member. And he's basically had the same band since 1982. Yes. Uh, and that, that I, I have to bring up the Santa Monica Civic gig, uh, because I was there. Oh, wow. In the front row, on the rail, uh, watching Al. Uh, and for me, I, when I read your, your piece, I, I did not remember... Al getting thrown, uh, you know, uh, shoes and other accoutrements thrown uh, at him. I just remember having a good time and and laughing at it. And I I um, I uh, called my uh, my writing partner, uh, who I've known for forty years, and we went to that show together. And I said, "Do you remember this?" And he goes, "Oh yeah." He goes, "I remember Al getting hit in the face by something, and I even remember the song that he was singing, which is." Uh, um, uh, it was a, a play on the Bad Company uh, song. Um, uh, I feel like uh, feel like throwing up is what what Al's <laughs> version was, and I was like, really, I don't remember that. Uh, I, I remember I remember missing persons, uh, you know, and uh, and all of that. And he was like, ah, Al was great. Missing persons sucked. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, that was their uh, that was their introduction as a band. That was their first gig, right? That's amazing that you were there. You're part of history. I love hearing mm. that story. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Al does not have those uh, fond memories that you have of it, or you know, he he does remember the objects being thrown. There was at least one person in the audience that was having a good fucking time. Well, that's good to know. I hope I hope he hears this. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember, I I grew up on Doctor Demento. I knew who Al was, yeah. so it was no surprise to me what he was going to come out and do, and maybe yeah. to the other uh let us call uh the new wave oriented audience at the time uh looking forward to seeing the new wave act missing persons uh you know didn't quite get the comedy uh, yeah aspect of it. yeah and it is an interesting mix i guess there's a whole history of comedians or comedic music opening for someone Steve else. martin for used to do it for you know like a decade before he got yes famous. but it is still sometimes considered an odd pairing i've been reading a lot about largo kind of trying to write something about this nightclub in los angeles largo where you have this great mixing of comedy and music and um a lot of its artists in well, i think it goes back to the jewish tradition of the catskills uh you know that was a common thing you know you'd have oh, the yeah. comedian then you'd have the music act and you'd have a comedian in between in fact usually the mc was a bit of a comedian and so oh, you know yeah. and I, early nightclubs in the 40s all across the united states had that combination and vaudeville there's a whole history there but for some reason it is considered an interesting pairing now that you know i think this idea this very serious idea of music as somehow being different than comedy is has really taken hold um yeah yeah but 
yeah, no, I, I agree. So people probably weren't quite prepared for uh, Weird Al before that particular group. Um, but yes, you're right. The act is Weird Al, so you know, uh, no holds barred at that point. No, but this was uh, this was the big debut for this group that has continued for so long, and it it kind of happened organically with Bermuda just there in Dr. Demento's studio for another one rides the bus, the big premiere there. Um, yeah. just the second, the second hit uh, for Al. Yes. Uh, which again was that was done live in the studio, live uh, in the and recorded. Studio. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and again, it's pretty much just uh, accordion, Al, and uh, and then some drums, right? Yeah. Well, and I in Bermuda, if I remember correctly, was just banging on the accordion case, so it was just yeah. kind of this <laughs> kind of organic, unplanned situation, which is amazing. And he's been around. Bermuda's now the unofficial historian. He's got all the saved documents and all the information, and he's been with Al forever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so he 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 goes from like i said uh, just a, a kid with an accordion uh you know with a tape deck uh into uh, bringing in a band and i i think um uh his manager uh jay levy has a lot to do with that as well right yeah yes and he's been wonderfully nice he's been with him from the beginning also um it's an amazing group and i did get to interview bermuda and ask him something about this you know is al really as nice as they say because it would suggest that he is just just in the fact that these individuals have been with him for so long, have chosen to work with him for all of these years. And that's unusual. Um, Bermuda was helpful in in underscoring just how unusual that is. Uh, I think you two, ZZ Top have been together for that long, but, but this is a very short list. <laughs> Most bands do not stay together for that long. Well, and especially a, 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 a band that really is about one guy yeah. and then sidemen usually the sidemen are interchangeable uh, yeah. over time and that's just not the case with this band yeah yeah this team has been together all of these years and it's a real testament to what it must be like to work without yeah so you know it it the, by by bringing in the band, it allowed it obviously allowed him to expand his sonic palette and instrumentation, mm -hmm. and it kind of shifted um, uh, how he went about creating uh, his his songs. It was you know it was it was all about just the wordplay, yeah, uh, and then and then the just the comedic element of having an accordion uh, play right. the music, yeah, and then they switched to really really trying to emulate the original compositions yeah. musically um and uh and then just adding al's voice on would you know present would 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 provide the comedy right yes it gets very complex too the the sound matching process over time you're right initially so many of the songs you know that's not uh, you you know it's a parody right off the bat because you've got the accordion and other kind of slapsticky sound but over time part of the fun became this guessing game oh this is the original oh no wait this is weird out because right. of that sound matching process it would just get got more and more difficult to actually do um with advances in technology 
Uh, yeah, you know, at, at, in, in the in the 80s and 90s, uh, you know, uh, the, the sonic palette was limited. Uh, and now with computers and sampling and all the things that are layered on top of songs. To, so to try to parody, uh, you know, a current song, it's got to be uh, pretty difficult to, to strip yeah. it down and figure out how uh, how the, these piece parts are put together. Absolutely. Right? And when the musicians have been stumped, uh, Bermuda's talked about... Uh, actually calling up musicians from the original group and saying, how did you do this? <laughs> so that they can then copy that. <laughs> mm. uh, and then the other thing that I found really interesting is that they, they speed up the tempos a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Comedy just plays better a little faster, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was funny. Uh, all right, so he got to work with uh, with a couple of, of famous uh, uh, people uh, in his career. You know, Rick Derringer did uh, the producing for the early albums until right. Al probably felt comfortable in the studio, right? Yes, yes, and apparently there were some other issues with that producer. Nothing that Al mentioned, but uh, other informants described some some possible substance distractions um oh on 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 rick's part yes um <laughs> yes but um so he became less enamored uh and uh and more interested in uh self-medication that's what i gather but not from al um right. but yes so al became more comfortable with producing and and he really you know he's such a smart guy he learns on the fly he learned all of these different aspects of music making as he went along so then he became mm -hmm. able to be in charge of so much you know the producing and the videos and all of this so yeah. yes yeah so he does that he takes over uh you know it's, it's only the first few albums i think that derringer's on but uh, another thing that i didn't know uh was that he worked with wendy carlos Yes. Isn't that fascinating? I found that little connection fascinating because for a different project, I was thinking about writing something about Wendy Carlos because this is yeah. an amazing musician with the switched yeah. on Bach. Switched was, on Bach, yeah. Switched yeah. on Bach, which was a huge moment in classical music, kind of yeah. uh, bringing classical music. Yes, that must have tickled your fancy. Yes, I found that fascinating, bringing classical music to the masses in this whole new, very creative way. Um, so to have this very innovative, musician Wendy Carlos uh, in connection with uh, a children's album is what this mm -hmm. was. Um, so Weird Al uh, does know that he has a great fan base uh, with children and early on he did uh, his own versions of uh, Peter and the Wolf uh, with Wendy Carlos um, which is just amazing. I haven't been able to get my hands on that album to actually listen to it but just reading about it, it's like how did th this is amazing um but it, it makes sense you know since then well even early on weird al had a children's show and he's since then written books for children um so he certainly knows the oh and he's I, how could i forget captain underpants i have a yeah. young son who loves captain underpants and at the end you get and the he, weird he, al song yeah song right 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 yeah. yeah he's had his uh his forays into uh television a uh, first with mtv mm -hmm. where he uh, had Al TV. Basically, he would take over MTV for uh, a couple of hours, and uh, and uh, and he did a series of these <laughs> hilarious fake interviews. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like Randy Rainbow has a whole resurgence with some of that <laughs> that same technique, that splicing together of him in these mock interviews. But yeah, Weird Al was all about those on MTV, and they are hilarious. 
Yeah, I guess we could call Randy Rainbow a, a child of Weird Al, huh? Yes, yeah, we're, yeah. it's a little different because of the political focus, and that's something Weird Al just would not do, that explicit political focus. Randy Rainbow is all about the politics, which I personally but it's par- love. But it's parody. It. It's, it's parody, uh, mostly of Broadway tunes, but uh, mm-hmm. but it's still very similar of taking that and then wordplay. Yes. Oh, no, absolutely. Yes. I've never spoken to Randy Rainbow, but he has got to cite Weird Al as some sort of model. Um, but yeah, a, a parodies, but with this different focus on Broadway hits and politics. Yeah. All right. So over the years, what what do you glean from the critical reception that Al has gotten? And would it be fair to say that Al's critical reputation has grown over the decades? I think so. Absolutely. Well, uh, okay. So uh, reading the different press, because I tried to go back and get articles from the very beginning. Um, it was very frustrating. I can't imagine what it must have been like for Al over his career to read some of the same sorts of things. I kept reading the word still he's still performing he's still here like no one expected this to continue so even in positive reviews there would be this astonishment somehow like oh wow here's weird Al. (laughs) yeah he's still around and he's still doing the same thing he's been doing for the last x amount of years absolutely and there were these early dismissals that somehow his music was immature he's always focusing on food i read this really terrible critique in the los angeles times just taking him to task for this this kind of infantile focus on food. Um, But uh, that reception has changed and that, you know, certainly wasn't the norm. And uh, in 2014, that was a year where there was so much um, press around Weird Al and, uh, and some. Well, he had a number one album. Right. When you hit the number one, uh, you know, the, uh, the vultures circle. The, well, I guess the vultures did certainly circle, and and they highlighted important aspects about how long his career was, um, and we have some of these bigger thought pieces. And then I read another review, I can't remember who it was by, about how there shouldn't be thought pieces around Weird Al because there's nothing to think about. He just is funny. So there's a real mixed bag of chips when it comes to writing about Weird Al that I had to take in. How do you respond? How do you honor what he's done and really look at the weight in it um, without um, killing the humor, which seemed to be the point of this particular critic. Um, yeah. Dissecting the frog, as you uh, point exactly, out. Exactly, dissecting yeah. the frog. How can we talk about this music in a serious way without somehow ruining his wonderful <laughs> music? It's a real catch-22 situation. <laughs> but um, yeah, some critics tried some of that and in 2014 and not everyone loved it but um yeah there's definitely been a change in how he's received and it's just impossible that there wouldn't have been after all of these years how can you deny it how can you still be talking about weird al's comeback at this point? yes yeah 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 well he's he's actually embraced uh, some of that because i think every album is a comeback right that's it? what he said he's he's <laughs> aware of all of this and everyone's like oh here's weird al again okay right, never went right. anywhere just fyi <laughs> yeah well you're uh, al uh you know the the critics hated led zeppelin too so you know you're in good company uh, out there although in uh, dan rather interviewed him on the big interview yes. uh in 2015 which I think is, is is a huge moment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He has had the, some of these big interviews, these big moments. I really think uh, it's just impossible to deny his icon status at this point. Just, you know, he, he comes up all the time. I'll just be watching a show and then there's a cameo. There's Weird Al. 
I mean, he's a cultural touchstone. So he is hard to deny now. And there are some people, many people that have recognized that. Um, and even this year, um, this book got reviewed in the Washington Post. And then shortly after, there was a long write-up on him in the New York Times. Um, so I, I think his status is is it's not going anywhere. I think generally people know. Um, yeah. Although, I mean, even in saying, a lot of people ask me, what are you writing when I was working on this book? And people that knew me or or past mentors at the university, uh, and they're aware of, you know, my other sort of work in the Nazi era and all of this. And when I said Weird Al, uh, the responses were very divided. Um, some people totally got it. You know, Weird Al's amazing. Good for you. And other people were like, what now? Um, and I have started to judge people based on this. I know I shouldn't, but you know, if a person doesn't get how awesome Weird Al is, you know, it's like not appreciating a rainbow. I've got to question what kind of person you are. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, with this long of a career, uh, you know, it, it, uh, you might be able to, uh, you know, um, brush him off if, if it was a one hit wonder. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, he has constantly, uh, you know, you know, found that cultural, he's a great cultural commentator is, is the thing. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, he's constantly proving it over and over again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, he, he, he makes some, um, what I might say, uh, subtle nods to the fact that what he is doing is perhaps a little more serious than one might think. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, his uh, influences, but one other that I do want to bring up uh, that is maybe not so overt, um, and that's Frank Zappa, who is considered a stone cold genius. Right. Nobody argues that. But Lyrically, is he that far off of, uh, of of Al? No, he's not. And in fact, I love that Al did a song in the mode of of, of Frank, uh, Genius in France from right. Poodle Hat in 2003, where he actually has Dweezil play guitar on it. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's got all the elements. I mean, the Ruth Underwood bits are there. You know, George Duke styling vocals are there. It's just, you know, and he's able to pull it off. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm a huge Frank Zappa fan. So if, if it wasn't good, you know, I'd be, you know, thumbing my nose at it. Yeah. And that is just not the case. Yeah, I have a theory about this. I don't know if you're going to like it. Um, but uh, it's true. Frank Zappa has there's a lot of humor in his music and a lot of cleverness, a lot of wit, a lot of focus on meat products. Um, there's some serious overlap. Um, but you're right, Frank Zappa is treated as a genius, and he's someone that academics will write about, um, you know, whereas Weird Al is not. Um, and I wonder if it has to do partly with this issue of niceness. This is my theory. So we've got this idea of the Western genius, right, like the Beethoven, this kind of grouchy, isolated, um, not always nice figure, right? Um, and there's an idea that that's what it takes to create great art, that you have to be suffering for your art. And uh, Frank yeah. Zappa kind of fit that mold. He wasn't, based on what I've read, he wasn't always the nicest of people. And you, and some of that mean-spiritedness, you, you see some of that in his music. I mean, there's not a one-to-one -one correspondence. Music is never a direct reflection of a, of a person's personality. But 
uh, in accounts of him, you kind of have some of that behavior you associate with the Western struggling genius. Uh, whereas Weird Al is nice. He is nice. And I wonder if maybe that's part of the reason people haven't always treated him in a serious way, uh, because he doesn't fit this kind of antiquated, problematic um, model of the creative genius. It's my theory. Interesting, interesting. And, you know, um, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up a tough subject because I, I, me personally, you know, being a fan and, and, and seeing his work over the years, it does seem that his personality does kind of shift a little bit in 2004 with the death of his parents. That's, hmm, I'm not sure how to answer that. I don't know. Because, I mean, he still maintains, um, you know, the comedic value uh, regardless. And I, and I know that was devastating for him. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I don't know, you know, it, it's, to me, it was like, there was this lightness always about him, to your point. Yeah. And it seemed to shift a little bit. There, there was a little bit more, what, what appeared to me, and, and maybe I'm just reading it wrong, but uh, more weight on his shoulders. That's uh, interesting. Well, I know that's interesting. I didn't ever look for that sort of switch. And I am very careful. There's a whole history of people trying to ascribe, make a direct connection between what happens in a person's life and their music. You know, and oftentimes a person projects a certain thing in their music or they're doing something because they're getting paid. So it's not, it's always more complicated than that. So I didn't go through his music and try to do that. Um, I do also know in one quote that he talked about uh, looking towards his music as an escape. He is aware that funny music in times of crisis, it, it can be an escape for his listeners. And he's had different people contact him about, you know, being in a dark place and, and his, and, that, and him helping. Yeah. Yes. And he found that he continued his tour after that, uh, that terrible moment. Mm, um, yeah. you know, he loved his parents so much. Um, but he, he found in his music that escape. So, so I'm not sure. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah, it was just a, a, a thought that I've had watching Al over the years and reading your book and yeah, you did not delve into it. No. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just, that's, uh, you know, there are significant events in one's life and, yeah. you know, that was obviously a huge one. And yeah. I was just wondering if it really did, uh, you know, I mean, you know, it affected him, but how it affected him in, in his trajectory as a, as an yeah. artist, uh, because, you know, that is a, an artist's job is to, to take those emotional, um, uh, you know, our emotional beings and right. try to express uh, them uh, out there. Yeah. You know? and, and Al kept on doing what Al does. I, I wouldn't say his comedy has suffered no. uh, because of that. Uh, no, and, and know, he the, definitely still has light moments. And he had dark moments before that too, you know, with some of these biting insults and, uh, and stuff in some of his songs and kind of dark, dark moments. Um, so I don't know, I'm thinking of Foil, that was way, you know, 2014, that song's mm -hmm. hilarious. Um, and you know, about saving your leftovers. So that was pretty, as pretty light. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a tough one. I'll have to think more yeah. about that. So mandatory fun is his last album, uh, or he says is going to be his last album, uh, release. Um, uh, so why? Yeah, well, he talked about how fast the music scene changed and it, it made more sense to do the digital downloads. 
um, then compiling, waiting till you have enough songs and putting out a whole album and then risking the trends to have already changed the music to not be as current. Um, so we'll see what he does in the future, but digital downloads it will in the future. We'll see. Mm -hmm. So maybe singles is the, the way yeah. to go, uh, like Drake does uh, these yeah. days. Uh, apparently, he just drops singles. And, uh, you know, I, I tend to agree. I mean, the, the, the album as an art form um, is, doesn't fit uh, the, uh, the current uh, culture no. uh, and tech, technology, the, the, the current consume, how we consume music. Yeah. And there's um, pros and cons there. I'm going to say my one con just looking through his albums is the cover art. He has some amazing cover art uh, through all of his albums. I've just loved all of these different covers. And uh, and so I'm going to miss that with without the, another album, some of that cover yeah. art. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, that goes back to, you know, missing, uh, you know, the 12 inch uh, album format and yeah. everything that came with that, yeah. where the album art was really important yeah. to help sell the, uh, the, the wax inside, yeah. know, the vinyl inside. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it, it's maybe just, uh, you know, us, uh, you know, being nostalgic for a past that just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. 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 So what should people uh, who read the book take away uh, from Weird Al seriously? Well, let's see. I hope in reading the book, people see the weight and the work and the genius in the creation of Weird Al's music and all that he does. I also hope people enjoy or are interested in some of the conversations that I see in parody, in his different parodies conversations created between his new song and the original. Um, and I also hope that people uh, see what funny music can mean to people, that it can make different points. It can be a place of solace for outsiders. Um, it can also just be a wonderful distraction in times of stress. And I feel like that last point is especially meaningful right now. All right. Favorite Weird Al song for you? Oh, that's a tough one. I personally really like some of his songs that play on gender, that take this kind of toxic masculinity and flip it upside down. So Trash Day is a wonderful one. Uh, he takes this hot in here where you've got this like, uh, you know, man telling a woman, take your clothes off, this sorts of thing. And he makes it a conversation about taking out the trash um, and it's wonderful. He does that with uh, Taco Grande as well. And I also love when he takes on uh, music by female singers like I Love Rocky Road. He's got oh, his yeah. own jet toughness. Only instead of looking for a one night stand, he's looking for ice cream. I love that. <laughs> oh, wow. So, Lily Hirsch, what is next for you? I am still working on funny music. I'm looking at uh, working on a larger look based on genre um, where I'll look at funny music and rap and funny music and country music. Um, and I probably am going to have to write about all of these COVID-19 parody songs. Yeah, uh, it, it must be really difficult uh, keeping up uh, the, the Weird Al uh, act when you know you got mom and mom and dads all over the planet uh, stealing stealing your act. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. But Weird Al, you know, he does it better than anyone on YouTube. He, the joke always builds. It's not just a one line joke. Uh, and he doesn't do what's obvious. Uh, so that's a wonderful thing. But yes, there's a lot of people creating funny music right now. And I'm grateful to all of them. Well, Lily Hirsch, it's been great having you uh, on the show today talking about Weird Al. Um, thanks so much. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Stay safe. Everybody shut up. joining us today. Please go and pick up her big book on Weird Al. Seriously. Really. Do pick it up. And I am being serious. Seriously. Two, two quick thoughts. Uh, first, yeah, uh, comparing Weird Al to any of the previous generation of contemporaries in music comedy is not even a fair fight. Al is literally the be-all, end-all in the conversation. I mean, take... Muhammad Ali, Babe Ruth, Jim Brown, Tiger Woods, put them all together. He's without doubt the goat in the field. God bless him. God bless Weird Al Yankovic. Secondly, uh, like I keep saying, Hamilton is the musical cultural event of the last decade. And I don't think, like Weird Al, uh, there's anything else in the conversation. It is the Sgt. Pepper of our times. And that is both good and bad. It's great that there's actually one, uh, something that you could even have a conversation about compared to Sgt. Pepper. And while I love the musical, as if anyone didn't already know that fact, I'm a little disheartened that nothing else on the landscape of the teens is even in the conversation. I mean, what, Ariana Grande, who I think was compared to the Beatles recently? Uh, I don't know. Kanye or Drake? Lady Gaga, who I do love, but I'm, I'm not sure. Maroon 5? <laughs> uh, am I wrong? Did I miss something of this cultural import in the last decade? I doubt it, but hey, you let me know. Okay, that is it for this week. Next week, we do get into uh, some new rock and roll. I had the pleasure of speaking with Josh Kennedy of the band The Black Moods. They have a new album out called Sunshine that is pretty cool. Rip-roaring, straight-ahead rock and roll. If you like your uh, Greta Van Fleets uh, or Struts or My Girls, uh, Bones UK, I think we may be seeing a little bit of a rock and roll revival, and that's great. So tune in next week for all of that. All right, let's leave you with uh, Weird Al singing about another cultural phenomenon that has spanned over 40 years, like himself, Add that he parodies it with the perfect musical choice. And, well, that's why he's a genius. All right. You guys, keep up the rockin'.
long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away, Naboo was under an attack. And I thought me and Qui-Gon Jinn could talk the Federation into maybe cutting them a little slack. But their response, it didn't thrill us. They locked the doors and tried to kill us. We escaped from that gas And met Jar Jar and Boss Nass We took a bongo from the scene And we went to feed to see the queen We all wound up on Tatooine That's where we found this boy Oh my, my, this here Anakin guy Deeper Digs is hosted by Christian Swain. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at PantheonPodcast.com. Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks. of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.